Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times. I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. What is up? This is Robert J. O'Neill. Welcome back to the Operator Podcast. It's called The Operator because... Everyone that's doing anything is operating. If you're making your life better, someone else's life better. Good on you. Um, I wanted to I wanted to uh, bring in another operator. I'm excited to do interviews because as much as I sit, love to sit here and run my mouth, um, I don't need to because it's a lot more um, a lot more fun to talk to somebody else. Today, my guest is a complete professional. Um, well, complete professional might be a stretch, but he's been doing podcasts himself yeah. a long time for Barstool. Uncle Chaps, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, you said it's still Uncle Chaps, or is it just Chaps? Have you have you graduated? Yeah, just basically Chaps. I, that whole thing, man. I wish I could go back and change it. So, I, it is what it is. I'm Uncle Chaps <laughs> online, but I just go by Chaps. Yeah, that's what I thought too. That's how I got my one of my handles uh, on Instagram and Twitter is Mikuya because. Yep. I was I was still in the Navy at the time, and a bunch of my friends said, "Dude, there's this new thing out called Twitter, and if you just make a fake name, you can say the worst shit to people, and they'll never know who you are." And yeah. I'm like, "Cool, cool, I'll um, hooya." We said that in SEAL training. I'm Irish, I'm Mick, so Mick hooya, and I had seven followers. And then I, I <laughs> my name my name leaked as killing Bin Laden. I woke up with like fifteen thousand followers overnight, and I'm like, "Sweet, now I'm Mick hooya forever." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's basically the same thing for me. Like I when I was in D.C. and did a lot of presidential security stuff with HMX one. And we, when we would go out, me and all the guys would have different names that we use. And mine was chaps McNeely. So when I was still in and I went on Twitter, that's what I made my name. And then yeah. eventually it became uncle chaps. And then that's it. Chaps McNeely. Yeah. You know, I was, I was actually, I've known you a long time, um, mm -hmm. but I, I was like doing some research trying to pretend I'm a professional and th the internet can't even agree on your last name. Right. And there it says uh, one of the websites for celebrity marriages says that my CEO <laughs> at Barstool that we're married and my my face was next to her and it was Brett Nardini. I'm like that. I'm not Brett Nardini. <laughs> no, no, that's that's pretty funny. Erica's a pipe hitter. She is. She's a bad she's a badass. Um, Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of um, speaking of uh, Twitter and Instagram, whenever I say something that I shouldn't, just because like so it's it's one thing to be funny in person it's yet another to put it in print and tweet it at yeah. people sometimes they don't think you're very funny and uh if you get if i get the balls to read comments on twitter it's it's uh it's pretty nasty but i wanted to let you know that when i feel bad i go right to your social media <laughs> and, and i don't feel so bad anymore. Yeah. You're, saying, you're saying stuff that i think is 
really funny too but uh um, some people just don't see it that way. It turns out the internet that I think was made for communication does does not have senses of humor. No doubt. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that. So, uh, so Barstool, when did you sign with them, by the way? So I've been there almost seven years now. Almost seven years. It's been a while. And that's been uh, Barstool, Barstool Sports. Yeah. So I've been at Barstool for seven years, like I said, and I've been doing ZBT, my military podcast, Zero Block 30, for yes. about six and a half years of that. Yeah, I've been on zero zero blog thirty, I think twice. Yeah, and, twice and or three times, something like that. Yeah, and that's you host with Kate, right? Yeah, Kate and Connor. Yep. You know, you know that Kate. Uh, we did one Zoom, a Zoom call, I think, during the pandemic, and Kate sat at someone else's station, and I called her someone else's name. She goes, "Rob, it's Kate," and I'm like, "I, I know, but it says someone else's name." And my yeah. phobia, like one of my biggest phobias in the world, is calling someone the wrong name. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at Kate, but it says the name below her. I'm like, I know that's Kate, but I'm going to, oh shit, what a pickle. I mean, that's the reason why I do introductions off because I'm so worried that I'm going to mispronounce somebody's name. Like when we have an interview and it's not something <laughs> like Brown is their last name or Johnson, yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't want to say this in front of this person. I know I'm going to butcher it. For some reason, I get in my head that if I just say it really fast, no one will notice. Maybe right, if, I, if, yeah. I, if I fuck it up, maybe they won't notice. And that is a funny phobia, too. I guess. I've heard people say before that when you meet someone, um, you say their name back to them. And that that never works for me, because as I'm thinking their name, I'm thinking, say it back, say it back. Then I say it. I'm like, fuck, what was it? Yep. That's bullshit. So but but yeah. So Barstool Sports, you you were there sort of at the beginning, but like they're taking over everything. Yeah, it's crazy. Even to me. I mean, when I started, I I think I was employee number 13. Um, really? at Barstool. And now you walk upstairs, there's like 300 people up there on the business side. I walked up there to give you an idea last time. So I, like you said, I've been there for a long time, been in the content game for a while. I walked upstairs and somebody was like, hey, can are, who are you here to meet? Can I show you around? And I was like, well, I've been here seven years, dude. No, you can't show me around. <laughs> I'll well, show getting, you around. Yeah, no kidding. They're getting so big. I, I remember when uh, we, when when Barstool moved to New York, I was living in Midtown and we were just walking down there. Uh, something, and someone grabbed us too and asked us. We went upstairs. They were having a video game contest or whatever and mm-hmm. serving serving fresh coldies and people are just talking shit. But now it's like every almost every university has their their Barstool branch. Right. And right. and Barstool just made, made a movie, right? Um, I think sure. I, saw, I could be full of shit. Yeah, I don't know about a movie. I know we had a documentary, uh, but I don't know of a that could movie. Be a, but I'm like, sure. and like, but like, I don't know a lot. I mean, even me, I don't know everything <laughs> that goes on. It's impossible. People are like, did you see this? Like, no, dude. I didn't. We have like 40, 50 podcasts. I have no idea what most people are doing. Well, Erica Nardini was like, she makes shit happen. That's, I, I think, personally, from an outsider's point of view, she like, she comes in and just makes stuff work. And it seems like it's exploded. Yeah, she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't take anything from anybody. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, because it started with Dave Portnoy, like uh, like he handcuffed himself somewhere or some shit in Boston. <laughs> yeah, he was in Boston for a while, started making papers. He actually started as a paper route out of his uh, Astro van while living in his mother-in-law's basement. <laughs> and now he just got a check a few weeks ago for like $300 million. It so, sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And what's awesome about him is he hasn't changed. And he does, I mean, he does give a fuck, but he really doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't sugarcoat a lot of stuff. And 
I just I it's I dig watching him go from that to being a person that if he gives you a solid pizza review, your your business is gonna skyrocket. Yeah, the so, biggest difference for Dave that I've seen is that he's not ugly anymore. Like he when he <laughs> first started, he was fat, out of shape. Like now, now that he has money, he looks good. He's like in fashion stuff and going to Italy before he was fat and gross. Yeah, 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 that's funny. I, I he was he went to an I saw him go to a, a protest one time and someone was protesting, whatever they protest. Mm -hmm. and, and he said something about Nan. Someone said something about, well, I got a place in Nantucket. You've never been to Nantucket? Nice. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Just, I love the way he talks to people too. He doesn't really care. But I mean, that's just it's cool to watch Bar because Barstool is like, uh, it's like in every man's place yeah. mm -hmm. and not just man, but women too. dig it. Like, just go out, have fun, do your thing. And I've yep. seen him before. You know, I've seen I go to one of the things I like to do occasionally is go to like uh, college games or or pro games and like to see the like even the smaller colleges with their version of uh, Barstool. Just uh, it's a it's a staple. And I think it's awesome. And even schools that have like twenty five hundred, three thousand students will have a Barstool account. It's crazy. Yeah. That's good stuff right there, man. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with Barstool? So when I first started, I I got out of the Marines and went to school. I went back to school and went to UTSA. And school was always kind of boring to me. I didn't really give a shit about it. Honestly, I was going back to school simply to use the GI Bill and get the money and retire and figure out what I wanted to do after I got out. And so I was so bored sitting there. And I, I mean, I, like I'm going to I was at th almost 30 at the time and I was hanging out with what am I going to hang out with 18, 19 year olds? My first assignment was um write an essay about the dangers of underage drinking i was like dude i don't even remember what underage drinking <laughs> was like i'm let alone i mean i could tell you how many people i saw in jp but i was sitting oh, there yeah. in my and and the classes and i would just be tweeting all day about like the jacksonville jaguars and things that i was interested in and the next thing you know i graduate and i'm in the i'm in my house and i'm like i gotta do something i was just being a stay-at-home dad for a while and then I started a podcast in my closet, got like a shoebox, put a little lav mic in it and was talking into it, just telling stories and telling jokes. And somebody what, on Twitter. The shoebox just make it sound better? Yeah. So I would do it in my closet where all the different clothes around muffled everything. So there wasn't <laughs> like an echo. And then the shoebox was just where I had a place to put my voice where it wasn't going all over the place. So I tried to figure out the best way I could to make it sound decent. And somebody on Twitter tagged Dave Portnoy and That's tagged shit. him. He's like, you should check out this dude. He's funny. Dave happened to be at the airport bored, put in his headphones, <laughs> listened to like an episode and a half. Paul Big Cat was like, do you know who this guy is? And Big Cat was like, yeah, I do. He's got a pretty good following for NFL stuff on Twitter. Next thing you know, Dave calls me, asks me if I can write, send him a couple, uh, like, I guess, practice articles that I would write. Yeah. He called me back the next day and offered me a full-time job. Like I would have been happy with thousand, two thousand dollars a month just to do a couple articles mm -hmm. here and there, but he offered me a full-time job and it legitimately changed my life. How, how long had you been out of the military when that happened? Uh, three years. Yeah. Cause I'm, cause I found that, uh, like, you know, how you just said you'd be happy with a thousand, two thousand a month or whatever, two, three thousand. A lot of vets don't realize quite what they're worth, worth on the outside. So always no. ask, for, always ask for way more. And yeah. uh, they'll pro they'll probably pay it to you, but uh, yeah, the military guys. But the you, when you realize you're worth more, and it's not as loyal in the civilian sector or the private sector, that's funny. But that yeah, that changed your life. So where where were you in? Uh, um, where were you when that happened? Where were you living? San Antonio. So I've been here the whole time, and everybody okay. else moved to New York. And 
Dave, I had kids in school and Dave was like, you can stay there. So it was great. He was basically paying me New York city money in Texas, which goes a lot. Yeah. It further. does go a long way. <laughs> yeah. So and you're still I, there now, but you were writing, um, like, but you were writing bullshit about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like you were making shit up, right? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Like, so I did a lot of trolling online and changed my like username or my screen name to Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter and like looked how they would tweet and sometimes the reports that I would make that were completely fake would end up on like SportsCenter or ESPN. No, yeah. So one time, the most famous time probably was I changed it because the Jags were looking into defensive ends. And one of the main defensive end was Olivier Vernon. And whenever he was out on a free agency deal and like it was getting close that the Jags might get him. I tweeted out that the Jags had reached a deal for like five years, $70 million, which is pretty like what was expected. Adam Schefter goes on TV. He's live on TV at the time, reports it as real news because one oh. of his people had seen it. And they go all in like, oh, the Jags are going to be better. They're going to have this guy, that guy. <laughs> I'm friends with the Jags owner's son. And yeah. he texted me like a year later. And he was like, do you know that we were so close to actually having that as a signing? And when those numbers came out, the Giants came over the top and added $5 million. And that's what he ended up signing for, five years, $75 million. Oh my God. All because of a bullshit tweet for your team. Yep. <laughs> Literally. Ch yeah. Changing, changing history with uh playoff structure or whatnot. Why, um, why the Jags? I asked where I'm from. I was born in Jacksonville. My dad okay. was a Navy guy. Oh, what's he really? Mm -hmm. What do you do in the Navy? He was a P3 flight engineer. No kidding. Yeah. P3s are badass. The sub hunters. I, I, um, I've jumped out of the side door on those and the props. If in case you don't know, it's a, it's got uh, four props, really fast plane. Not not in case you don't know, you know, chaps. I'm just saying it in in case I have a listener or two. But when you jump out, the the prop blast hits you so hard, you usually slam off the skin of the ship when you jump. Oh. So the the way that I was teaching people to do it is aim aim for the prop, try to reach out and grab it, and then it'll you'll fall back and then try to you know arch and get your shit together. Yeah, so, I, bet people, I bet that goes smooth, and you're like, "Yeah, just jump towards the prop." <laughs> That's some normal it, shit. It, it, it seems <laughs> it seems like not the right thing to do, but it ends up ends up working out. And then you know that I mean, I think I, I'll take that over a static land jump any day. I I was never comfortable being connected to the plane I'm jumping out of. <clears throat> That's uh, I, I you know I, I you were a marine. I, I, one of the best marine stories I have was when a marine was actually a what they call a hung jumper. He was a, a, a recon guy. And a hung jumper is when you, you so you have a static line connected to uh, a wire in the plane to jump out and it pulls your chute for you. But a hung jumper means uh, the rigger parachute rigger did something wrong and it doesn't uh, pull the chute out. And now you're just hanging from a plane, uh, bouncing off the uh, the side of the plane or, or God forbid, the ramp. You're flying back there. And what you're supposed to do, they tell you in safety classes, is put your hands over your reserve, which is on the front, which I, I don't have too much uh, faith in, and just maintain a body position while they either cut you away, which is scary, or they reel you in. And this guy is slamming against the um, the skin of the ship, and he's just his hands are all over, and he's just screaming to cut it. Just cut it. You're not going to reel me in. They cut it. Poor dude falls. He gets his reserve out, and everyone thought he was dead. I wasn't there. I had a Marine tell me this, so who knows how true it is. But uh, he 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 landed hard on the ground. His reserve fell on top of him. They're running up to see if they need to do CPR or put him whatever. And all they heard him was uh, mumbling, "Oh, that sucks." Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean that tracks, man. That's that's exactly right. That actually happened about two weeks ago. There was really two special operators that died uh, because that happened. You're shitting me on a on a static no. line jump. Yep. Damn. 
that yeah that's uh, that's yeah that's horrible i mean that's scary so you got to figure if you're if you're stuck connected to the plane and the reserve on your front inflates and you're in a harness that's going to rip you in pieces i can't even imagine man like in the no. force of getting dragged by a plane like and not i can't even imagine what that feels like no before. and and i think a p3 can just can slow down maybe do 130 knots before you know you need to maintain a minimum speed of that that's what i've been told i'm not a pilot but i mean pilots generally know what they're talking about so uh so growing up there in jacksonville was what was the what was family like life life like um i said my dad was in the navy but we didn't have much of a relationship at all so like growing up i spent a lot of time with my mom and my grandparents my grandfather was a pastor for like 50 years so when i was growing up that's what i wanted to do and before i joined the marines i went to seminary like i was very really? close yeah i'm actually an ordained southern baptist minister still that's <laughs> um, awesome that's awesome <laughs> Like if you've listened to my show or done anything like or read anything that I've written, that would be a shock to you if you didn't know <laughs> that I was I was a pastor. Um, but that's the reason why I joined. Like I I was going to be a pastor of a small church in North Carolina. And I met with some of the guys and three of the deacons there were all Vietnam vets. And they were telling me about some of their stories. I was 21 at the time. And I thought, man, how am I going to lead these people in anything? Like they've had such life experiences. I don't have anything like that. So the war was going on. So I was like, I'm going to go do that. Join the Marine Corps. My mom was pissed, man. She was like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, well, it's a family this? thing. You're going to be a pastor, get in there. But so so the, the Marine, uh, I'm sorry, the Vietnam vets were in the congregation then? Yes. Okay. That make, Well, that makes sense too. If, I mean, if you're... Uh, if your eyes are open, you're like, how am I going to stand up here and tell them life lessons? That makes sense. What what uh, what year was that? That was 2002. Okay, oh, so I mean, it just it just kicked off. Like it's fresh. Yep. Like people want to yeah, fight. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're it was like the end of 2002. Whenever I left and then was going to join. So um, you're on the East Coast. So that means Paris Island. Yep. Can you walk me through day one of Paris fucking island? Yeah, so I think I had kind of delusions of grandeur before I joined. Like I was like, uh, one of it was just kind of trolling my parents because I told them I was going to join the military. So I go to go. I was in um, Dothan, Alabama, because I was going to school near um, Panama City at that time. So whenever I was there, I went to the recruiter and it was an Air Force recruiter. I had made a meeting with the Air Force recruiter. And he wasn't there. Like when I knocked on the door, he wasn't there, didn't show up. The Marine Gunny comes out and dress blue Charlie's looking like oh, a yeah. little snack. And he, <laughs> he comes up to me and he's like, hey, you here to meet the Air Force? And I was like, yes. And he said, they never on time. They're never on time. Can you do pull ups? And I was like, yeah, I could do some pull ups. And he put me on the bar. I did some pull ups. And then I got down. It's like, you should be a Marine. And I. One, I was a real skinny kid. I was like 5'10". What I actually, the other day, I was on the VA website. I'm buying a home for whenever I move pretty soon. And I went to the VA website and downloaded my service record book because you could do that now. Like basically all your entry documents, all your retirement documents are all there. I weighed when I joined 135 pounds. Oh my God. And, and so I was always very small growing up and I didn't become like a 200 pound guy until I got out and I just ate a lot more and did a lot more. Well, I was 135 pounds. So when I showed up in the Marine gunny was like, you look like you could be a Marine. I, it was the first time that I'd ever really been complimented 
in that <laughs> fashion where I thought somebody thought I looked tough. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do this. And my initial reaction, getting in the white van and driving from Jacksonville, Florida to Paris Island, none of it seemed real, right? Like e even you going to Navy boot camp and then to see like seal school, like when, as soon as you get there, that's when you're like, Oh shit. Like the idea of being there is sexy. And then when your feet are on yeah. the yellow footprints, you're kind of like, God, dude, like, what have I done? Like, this is the next yeah. 13 weeks it, of my life. That's a point that I make too, is, um, cause I'm from Montana. That's not exactly in the middle of everything. And I, <clears throat> I had other dudes from, from all over the country. And I remember looking around thinking the only thing we have in common is we're all terrified and we're all thinking, what horrible life decision did I just make? Right. But well, I mean, but, but I mean, that gun, he wasn't, he was no dummy. He's, he was dressed like that for a reason, that uniform alone and yep. the recruiting commercials, the Marine Corps has like the other, the other reason that they're, uh, we're, you know, we're having recruiting woes right now. The Marines don't because Marines are Marines and that's just, that's how it is. Yeah. And um, I never got to slay a dragon, a lava dragon, which is really <laughs> disappointing. Yeah. I thought that was a promise, but it's another recruiter lie that you're going uh, to yo, slay a dragon. Crazy. You know how many, I've heard so many stories too, of uh, myself included that you show up to join one thing and someone else grabs you. I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I tried to join the Marine Corps. He wasn't there. I went to the Navy because the Navy chief came out in his khakis. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Let's do Navy yep. stuff. Yep. And then it just turns into, it changes your entire world. I've had, I've had Marines tell me too, that like, like obviously, Full Metal Jack is one of the greatest movies ever made. But they said uh, my my buddies told me I was expecting that. But instead of one gunny in your face, there's like seven of them spitting on you. And you, what is that? I mean, what is that like the first time it happened? Because you don't know what to say. You got to say everything in the third person, but you don't know that, yeah. right? Yeah, and you don't. There's really no practicing that, right? Like you, there's nowhere else that's going to hold you to that standard. So it's totally different. Like I said, my dad and I weren't very close. So having a dude in my face and yelling at me was a whole new experience. And imagine the difference of Marine boot camp from seminary school. Like the difference <laughs> in personalities there was so extreme. So getting used to that was hard. But because I was a little bit older and more educated, I understood the games that were going. Like we're not Good. going, we're not waiting to go into the chow hall because somebody was out of step and we're going backwards. Right. It's because there's another platoon in line and they're going through. So we're not just going to stand there. They're going to fuck with us whenever we're yes. doing it. So yes. like figuring out all of that was pretty easy for me to do. The hardest part was when you're getting ready to graduate, and then realizing this isn't over because graduation previously was you're done with school, you're done with high school, you graduate from boot camp, you kind of feel like it's going to be over. And then I look at my contract and I got five years remaining. And that, that's when it really yeah. hits you that you you join, join. You're going to be but, there a while. But at least they're paying you really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet, I, you know, I, um, I didn't really realize uh, until, I don't know, maybe a year into it that it is it's a it's a constructed um it's a there's a plan and they're doing shit on purpose i think that that with the marines not knowing to say instead of saying my foot you say the foot or this foot this this private's foot uh, is that gives them fuel to fuck with you more because they can they can act like they've never heard anyone this stupid and they just that's got i mean what's what's the so i just I, i'm fascinated with getting there you're still in your civvies you, you how, does the haircut first what do they do first well, can you walk me through the first day yeah, so you get off the bus. This is the best I remember, dude. It's been a long time. So <laughs> uh, you get off the bus and you have all your normal civilian gear on. You walk it and there's a, you walk into this building. It says 
they talk about it all the time through these port or through these doors, the most, the world's most elite fighting force. Mm-hmm. So you, that's the first thing that you see after the yellow footprints is that big wording across the building that you're going into. And it means something to you after you leave, like you're like, yes, oh, indeed. Shit. so you walk into that building and there's a bunch of tables on there and they make you empty out all your stuff. They put all your stuff into, um, paper bags and then they take you to walk you to put on your PT uniform for the first time. You get to call your mom or your dad and you're yeah. on there real quick. But it's the first time that they're like take this off, do it now. And they're giving you exact directions and don't don't say your name or I, you say this recruit the entire time. This recruit, this recruit, this recruit. And I think it's really to establish teamwork that your own individual self no longer matters that you aren't just, I'm no longer Matthew. I am a recruit Marine. My name doesn't matter. I'm just one of the people that are here to do my job. That's so important. And that's what brings the uniformity to everything. I heard a general the other day explaining, you know why these are quarter inch apart for, for uniformity, because we look, we are the same. That's, that's part of what bo- jumping around. What bothers me with a lot of the bullshit training they're doing for the force. Now they're trying to individualize people and you need to respect. It's like, no, you, it's not black, white, male, female. It's, it's, um, it's Marine. It's, it's, it's soldier. It's it, a lot of the command climate and, and, uh, mandatory training to go to war, not even war anymore, just to go overseas. It, I think it take, I think the reason they put us in uniform, shave our heads is because you are the same. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I also think that it grows and evolves as you are in longer and the, the things that we are learning as a military might help because looking back at the greatest generation, they made mistakes. Like whenever they came back having, they wouldn't eat with black people, but they would sit with Nazis in certain spots of the world, like in the chow hall. And I feel like that is, there's growth from that, right? Like we don't look at black Marines. We, we call them Marines, but that took a while to have that equality there where people felt comfortable calling everybody that same thing. Because they were dark green marine, female marines. And that's what on my podcast, I really try. And I think what you're saying, too, about the operator, it's the same principle. I don't like any of the adjectives. And I wish that we could get past the point of adjectives like combat veteran, uh, all those yeah. different decorated veteran. Are you a veteran? That's good enough. That's for me. that's what I like, too. Every, I mean, I'll, I'll, I give... Uh, you know, depending on if it's after happy hour too, I'll, I'll take shots at people for fun, but I, I don't, you know, but, but if you raise your right hand and you serve the country, you serve the country, there's, there's so much involved with the team, everything from, you know, obviously supply, then the chow hall, then the, the, who's driving the bus or the flying the helicopter, the air crew, um, uh, everyone involved all the way down to the, the Marine infantryman that's taking the shot in Fallujah, everything mm-hmm. got him to that point, And it's, it's a cog in the machine, uh, and that, yeah, I, I I I agree with that too because you, you you'll hear a lot of veterans say that well you're a combat veteran or uh, mm-hmm. where'd you deploy Kuwait that's not a deployment yeah right. it is it's like there, shut this, up this, dude. this is a deployment yeah and, and even uh, you like the things that you accomplish the things that I accomplish in the military you were a rolled ankle away of not going on that mission to kill Bin Laden <laughs> I was a rolled ankle away from not being on the missions that I was like everybody that did something you had fortunate or unfortunate yes. like no matter which way you want to point it, of getting to that point. I joined the Marines. I had an MP designator. Would I have not been the same quality of Marines if I would have been stationed on Paris Island instead of Okinawa where I got to deploy? Yeah, I would have been the same exact guy. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the opportunity to show I could do the things that I did. Yeah, 
No, it's true. And, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff happening, not even just lately, but historically. Veterans like to, I don't know why, a lot of veterans like to see other veterans fail. And that that pisses me off sometimes. Yeah, I could see that too. Or if you don't agree with them, then you can't have anything to do with them at all. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of divisiveness, even in the veteran culture, that just shouldn't be there. Yeah. And if there is... We don't need to be blasting it all over social media. Maybe a right. phone call. <laughs> yeah, that's but, been going on a little bit with old Crenshaw and yeah, uh, Eddie yeah. Gallagher this week. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're fighting it out in public. And uh, you know, one thing that I mean, and I'm not, I I don't know which side to be on because whenever there's something where I wasn't there, I do like to hear what happened, but I don't really have an opinion um, because I I mean I, I can't speak from experience. Like even now, when people say, "Well, are you sure they dumped Bin Laden's body in the ocean?" I'm like, actually, I wasn't there, so. They they told me he did. I don't know. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I believe it doesn't matter to you if he did. Like you did your matter. job. Did they do theirs? I don't know. It's out of yeah. my purview. Yeah. But I think I think because what I think too is I mean everything with recruiting matters as far as veterans as far as movies and they're having a hard time with um with uh, recruiting and a lot of this doesn't help because people that are like listening to this podcast right now might be a fifteen year old dude who wants to be a marine who wants to be a sailor mm-hmm. or a seal. And uh, this helps them. They don't. They don't need to see grown ass men whining at each other in yeah, public. I totally agree. But it's... I mean, people do the thing. I know Dan. I know Eddie. I've never met David Goggins. Um, I think the world of all of them. And that's you know that's that's where I stand. And and if if someone asks you about a vet you don't know, just say yeah, best ever. <laughs> right. <clears throat> doesn't taking the high ground doesn't doesn't I think doesn't really hurt. But like with recruiting, did you see um, Top Gun Maverick? Yeah, it was awesome. I love that movie. I watched it. I think I've seen it 10 or 12 times. Yeah, we I actually got to go to the premiere uh, uh, on the Intrepid in New York. It was incredible. Really? Yeah. I, awesome. I guess my invitation got lost in the mail, but that's good. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess they said that even though it's a Navy, a Navy, avi- naval aviators, that Air Force recruiting went way like 8% up because of that movie. I mean, I don't doubt the same thing happened in the 80s, right? Like there was yeah. it was a huge recruiting boom. Yes. We, I had a, when I was at SEAL Team 2, we were in Virginia Beach, and then uh, Naval Air Station Oceana is right there. So a lot of enlisted SEALs would run into uh, pilots um, at bars over drinks. And just, a, I mean, never an issue. Always funny, though, um, because, you know, you get in the argument who has the coolest job in the Navy. And uh, I had, there was one of my buddies that was talking to a pilot, one of my SEAL buddies, and he said, look, sir, we know damn well there's no Tom Cruise's or Val Kilmer's flying jets in the Navy. We got plenty Charlie Sheen's in the SEAL teams. <laughs> yeah, true, very true. <laughs> so uh, just real, just I, I'm I love talking about Marine Corps boot camp because that's one of the things I have no experience with, and that's the toughest boot camp in the world. Um, like, what time do you wake up in the morning? What time do they come in with the trash cans? Usually zero four, zero four thirty, something like that. Uh, it's pretty early. I, I do remember that and. I, there's certain things about that that really, really help. Like the 430 thing, I wish I could go back to it. I mean, not really, I, but in my brain, I would like to go back to it because you're starting fresh. You're not being lazy. You're getting out that Admiral, um, I forget his last name, where it's make your bed. You essentially yeah, do that. that was in Bill McRaven. Yeah, you do that every day in the Marine Corps. You get up, you make your rack, you go to chow, you go to PT. It's the things that you do, and it becomes just part of your life. And going from a seminarian environment to that environment, I don't think anything besides waking up and PTing first thing in the morning, going on a run, something that absolutely sucked, 
and doing PT that absolutely sucked changed the way that my brain was made up more so than that. No, that's good too. And then just the, I mean, it does suck waking up that early, but I think the, everything to the, the, like you said, the little bit of sleep, waking up PT and the food you're eating, no alcohol, like you do, you're mm -hmm. fresh. That's right. I, I didn't, um, what's uh and because you know we've seen the movies the old course the runs and stuff like that did they did they how big were they into teaching you to fold your clothes because marines live on ships sometimes and you, and that's tight quarters you got to know how to fold is there a lot of classes on that or just kind of just figure it out no there's a lot of classes on that so i think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the marine corps boot camp is like too like i think it's there's a lot of similarities like i know foot lockers are very important the navy and the air force focuses on it as well we do too. Everything has to be exactly perfect except for your camis. They don't care what your camis look like at that point because you're going to fuck cool. them up throughout the yes. day anytime. But your dress uniforms, if they're not perfect, it's time to go to the sand pit. Like there's, it's just going to happen. So I, that kind of stuff, it's so far removed from me. Now, yeah. I, the other day was the first time it happened where I walked by somebody in a dress uniform and saw a medal and I was like, what is that? Like, which one is that where I couldn't remember, you know, like I'm getting yeah. to the point in my post military life where I don't remember a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But okay. You said the sand pit though. Can you explain the sand fleas? Those sound horrific. You got to remember those. Yeah. The sand fleas are real bad. So it's basically like flying fleas, like where you're constantly just having fleas on you, but it's great training again, like having it in Paris Island just makes sense because you can't move, you know, uh, somebody who's sniper trained, obviously, if you're getting bit by a bug, doesn't matter. You have to sit there and get bit by a bug in certain uh -huh. positions. And that's kind of what you learn there. And I, I think that the baby steps, I'm a dog handler M MOS, and we have a term that's successive approximation where you do baby steps and teaching a dog how to do new tasks. That's essentially what boot camp is, is they're breaking us down like little puppies and doing the initial basic training or the basic obedience in order to become a full-time dog. I've heard with the sand fleas that if you slap one off your hand, this is, sounds funny. I think Dakota Meyer might've mentioned this, that if you kill one, they will make you stay in there and have a funeral for the fleet. Yeah. Like you got to bury him. What is that? I mean, that's just a fuck fuck game right there. At that it point. is. That's all it is, man. Oh, and one time. So I told you my, my dad was in the Navy. So was my stepdad. And I can't believe he did this to me. So I was in boot camp. It was probably week eight or nine. My parents and my stepdad loved to go on road trips. One of those road trips that they happened to make was to Paris Island, South Carolina, while I was in boot camp. Mm -hmm. And because my stepdad had base access, they went and found 2nd Battalion where I was at and waited outside and were there. I saw my mom whenever I was marching back from the chow hall. And I was like, what is going on? And the drill instructor <laughs> saw my face when I saw this person. He was like, who is that? And I said, Sir, that's my that's this recruit's mom. Mm. And he was like, Oh, really? Your mama oh, no. comes to boot camp. <laughs> Dude, I got fucked up so bad. So that's where the sand is. So the sand pit is basically like a grown person's huge sandbox. But instead okay. of playing with buckets, <laughs> they play with you. And they oh man. You constantly have to wear sunscreen. So one of their favorite games was making sugar cookies where you'd Yo, put sunscreen. Out of sunscreen? Oh, God. It just doesn't come off. So you have sunscreen on your face and then stick your face into the sand. And that's basically how you spend the rest of your day because you're not allowed to touch your face ever. Like there's no touching your face allowed at boot camp. Like no not kidding. on your free time, not 
Only place is the shower or after you shave. Everywhere else, you're not allowed to touch your face. You're not allowed to scratch. You're not allowed to touch anywhere else on your body the entire time that you're there. Only when you're in the shower. That alone would drive me bananas. That's yeah. crazy. That is, that is such a head game. It really is because you'll, I mean, you have those sand fleas and you know, you like after something bites you, you want to rub it off or you want to scratch it off. No, yeah. You're not allowed to do any of that. <laughs> oh my God. And then, so the, the sandbox is the, uh, the sand pit is that that's like the major beat down. Like you fucked up. We're going to punish you. That's where you go. Yeah. If you, if you mess up anything bad, that's where you're going. Like you can go there with your whole platoon or if you fuck up by yourself, you're going there individually. And that's when it really is terrible. Cause usually they'll have two drill instructors for one recruit screaming at you on both sides of your head. And it's, it's a miserable experience. And they take instructors take courses on how to do that. Oh yeah. Like there's, there's cause you'll see them and the, the pointing the right in the face stuff and the screaming, are they allowed to curse there still? Or do they, do they shut that down? Or do you know? They're, they're not, they haven't been allowed to since like, the early early 2000s but they do still it's typically don't i actually got in trouble for this at boot camp because i said i thought it was an integrity violation that drill instructors would curse away from the officers but they wouldn't do it if the officers were in the room and if we're supposed to do every single thing like everybody's watching all the time we shouldn't be cussing if the officers aren't around and you thought that would be a good idea to bring that up I did. And it was a bad idea. And then I did it again at combat training at uh, MCT. I said there was a there was a machine gunner who was my instructor there. And the dude struggled uh, taking the 50 cal apart and put it back together again and making sure everything was fine. Struggled. I think he was actually some he was stationed somewhere else and didn't actually wasn't actually a machine gunner. But we had like the end of the course reviews and they were supposed to be anonymous or you could put your name on it. I put my name on it and yep. said that if Sergeant, whoever his name was, is an expert at combat, then the assistant manager at McDonald's is a master chef. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I can't just, see that ending well. No, dude. So I come in from the field at MCT and the company gunny, he's like, who the fuck like goes into the chow hall is PFC Catherine. And I'm like, Oh God, my, I, cause you don't want to hear that type of voice screaming. Where's you and yeah, using well, yeah, your actual yeah. rank instead of just your last name. When you're a boot, like I was at the time, I had to go to the company Gunny's office and there must've been 10 staff and COs that were in there. And they oh, were shit. just going fucking crazy on me. The first Sergeant, came in and was like, stand in the position of attention. If you move your eyes from straight away, we are going to NJP you for like all this kind of oh, shit. Wow. And I had to call, I called my mom and they were like, we're going to charge <laughs> you. And I had to go see the Lieutenant Colonel that was there. And oh, he was like, I, I've never seen a, a PFC say something so disrespectful about an NCO in all my time. And then now looking back, I'm like, they should have fucked me up, man. I'm surprised they didn't lay hands on me. Like I yeah. would have. At that time, if you would have told me as a sergeant that a PFC said that to me, buddy, we're going to the fucking tree line. Oh, yeah. We're going to yeah. figure it out. I mean, a PFC fresh out of boot camp. Yeah. A PFC with like two weeks of experience, like nothing. <laughs> to a yeah, dude they... who had, he had been to combat. Like the guy had 
yeah. an Iraqi campaign medal on. I was going to ask that because you got to be, I mean, right around the end of 2002, you're going to start seeing combat veterans. Like, no, sh I mean, we said there's a veteran, there's a combat veteran, but like the first few tours, um, these dudes are fighting. I mean, the Marines are fighting the whole time. And that, right. oh boy, I don't know what I, after my, if I had a big gunfight and I had some junior sailors say that shit to me, I, yeah, I could, I could see where that could come from. Especially one that's like 5'11", 135 pounds talking shit. Like, <laughs> how did that, how did that bowl over, boil over? How did it do? What did it do? So they were going to strip my MOS. That was the main thing that the Lieutenant Colonel had talked about doing that. I didn't have the demeanor to be somebody that could pull people over. Cause they saw that I had an MP MOS, which I didn't do that end up doing that anyway. So they said they were going to strip my MOS and turn me into open contract and that I could end up going anywhere. And I knew that would be brutal. So yeah. I wrote like this apology letter and uh, gave it to my squad leader who gave it to the sergeant and he brought it to the company gunny. And eventually they kind of let it go. Nothing ended up happening, but I thought, man, I've been in for four months and I've already completely destroyed <laughs> any, any chance in my next five years is going to be good. Oh man, I can, I can sort of relate to my big mouth getting me in trouble. <laughs> I've, I've done that before too. And the military is not necessarily the place to do it, but uh, what, what do they, if you get open contract in the, in the Navy, when if they call it undesignated, that mm -hmm. basically means they're sending you to the boatswain's locker on a ship and you are, a, you are, you're going to chip paint and paint and then chip that paint and paint and get yelled at by E5s all day long on a ship. What do they do in the Marine Corps? I mean, because like, Getting sent to infantry doesn't strike me as a bad deal. There's got to be worse shit they can do to you. No, that's like if you do really well and you're like, I want to go to the infantry, they'll send you. Like if you do really good at MCT, you can ask to go to infantry. It's like a bump up because everybody yeah, essentially wants to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it seems to me like the Marines want to. I mean, the best infantry in the world. And that that's that seems like it's something else. But what, what would they do for a punishment? Say they stripped you of like the uh, the military police, where would they send you? I would guess supply and motor T, I think are the two yeah. least sexy things. Admin or supply would be the two MOSs that they would go to. But I mean, I'd know supply guys that were like, this shit was awesome, man. Like I got to go to, because supply is everywhere. You know, yeah. like if you're, if you're an infantry person, unless you're going to like an embassy, you're going to be at Lejeune, Cherry Point, Pendleton, one of the big bases. Mm -hmm. Your supply, you could be an attachment to a joint services in Germany. You could go all different places. So there's benefits to every MOS, I guess. Yeah, that that's good. So they they, they threatened with the, the NJP and then you go to see the lieutenant colonel, which I mean to me at first, especially that that green Getting yelled at by an officer that, uh, you know, uh, an 05, that's 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 pretty scary. It was more scary that he didn't raise his voice ever. He just oh, looked super worse. stoic at me, told me to stand at the position of attention, not to move my eye plane again. And I just stood there and he almost damn near whispered. Like when he was talking, he started talking <laughs> really, really quiet while the sergeant major was standing in the corner and the first sergeant was off to the side as well. And I, every day, it was only like four days, but it seemed like eternity that I yeah. was just sitting there screwed over me I, because of my own self, too. And that's yeah. the worst part. It's like, I did this to myself. Like, yeah, I could have wrote all those things and not put my name on it, but I wanted yeah. to show, <laughs> no, that's coming from me, brother. There's a there's a time and a place for integrity, and that's not one of them. <laughs> that's exactly right. So then, so you get done with, uh, so that's, that's, uh, um, Combat. What, what do you call it? What combat school? MCT, combat Marine Combat MCT. Training. 
Okay. So you, you finish that, then what? I go to MP school um, in Fort Linwood and graduated at the top of the class there. And I got to go to canine school. And that's where, so I got to either pick SRT, which is like military SWAT essentially, or yeah. I could go be a dog handler. I didn't even know being a dog handler was an option. So when I went to the board to decide which follow on, because the way that I graduated, you got to pick like a secondary specialty MOS. And I, when I went in and they told me that a dog handler, I was like, man, this is what, yeah, this cool. is sick. Like I, I'll go do that. And then I got to go down to Lachlan to become a dog handler, which I, I, I think it's the best job in the Marine Corps by a million miles. I mean, you get to do essentially everything that an infantry person gets to do. You run point, you do all that stuff. But instead of starting your day 4.30 and going out for a run, you start your day at 4.30 going to play catch with a dog or fetch with a dog. Mm -hmm. It's it's fantastic, man. It's the best. That job, is fantastic. Well, once again, because I'm interviewing veterans, we usually get to talking about guns. And it's fun to talk about that sort of thing because opinions vary on certain things. But uh, I always mention F1 firearms. If you haven't checked them out yet, those are the ones that we use um, at events for foundations and charities we've sold some at my place we've sold some at mcbee's place the bone frog and we, you know they can customize the shit out of them there's like chainsaws and flamethrowers even though that might not be necessary it is still fun to look at right now though f1 firearms has over 300 custom firearms in stock uh the the newest the latest and greatest is the bdrx 15 it's the most modern design incorporated with the skeletonized technology. It's the flagship model that use, uh, utilizes a grid-built receiver set and is fitted with the matched free-floating X7M, as in Mike Handguard, for a monolithic appearance. The BDRX15 is the platform of choice and is available to be customized in multiple configurations and colors. The 16-inch uppers uh, made of stainless steel, black nitride. Uh, it's a 223. 300 AAC or 7.62, and the colors are kick-ass. you got to check it out. Black, red, silver, blue, and green. The uh, HDR15 package delivers a complete tactical setup available to the HDR15 or the AR pistol variant. It includes an internal upgrades, uh, features on the rifles, quick-release sling, 3.5-pound upgraded trigger with uh, weapon light to create the ultimate survival tool Got to check out the pistols, too, the 5.5-inch, the 8.5-inch, uh, really tight rail systems. They come out of the box. There's no wiggle room whatsoever. They're custom. Again, the anodized colors, F1 firearms. Um, they want to keep you happy. So you got to check out the 5.56 Durabolt bolt carrier group. There's law enforcement, mili military-grade models. Out of the box, these things are ready to rock and roll. You're going to look cool, and you're going to be a, a hell of a shot. Check out uh, F1 firearms. On the heels of the second largest bank failure in U.S. history and the eighth interest rate hike, within a 12-month period, 186 more banks are at risk of collapsing, and your bank could be next. Unless the Fed does what they did just back in March and print $300 billion out of thin air, making your dollar worthless. Not to mention the recession risk that could have a significant impact on your investment and retirement accounts. Take my advice Protect your financial future with something real, gold and silver, from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. Since the beginning of time, there is only one universal currency that is always of value, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has the highest ratings in the industry, five stars with Trustlink, a AAA rating with 
the Business Consumer Alliance and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service of Allegiance Gold. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwiththeoperator.com today or give them a call at 844-790-9191. Don't let the Fed play Monopoly with your money. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. So go visit protectwiththeoperator.com, protectwiththeoperator.com, or call them at 844-790-9191. This episode of the Operator Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. You don't need to be a combat veteran to have uh, stuff in your past. Everyone's got stuff they're going through. Everyone is their own vessel. Sometimes you can learn and grow when you talk to someone. BetterHelp is completely online. You can do it from home. All therapists are licensed accredited professionals. BetterHelp allows you to connect with them in a safe and convenient online environment. Pay a low, flat fee for unlimited therapy with your therapist. Therapy doesn't have to be expensive. Do it on your own time, at your own pace. Communicate with your therapist as often as you want and whenever you feel it's needed. Thousands of people have benefited from therapy. You can check out the reviews online. With BetterHelp, you can switch therapists at any point if you don't feel you're getting enough benefit. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, like I said. Do it from home. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a therapist, and you can switch anytime. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com operator to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash operator. Like you always see on the internet, we don't deserve dogs, and that's true. Especially dogs th- at that level of being trained. Do, do they now? Um, do they assign you a dog right there, or do you have to work with different ones? No, you work with different ones. So the way the military views dogs is basically like a rifle. So it belongs to the base that they're at. So I went from dog school to Okinawa, and I trained probably three or four different dogs over my time, including the dog Psycho that I got that I ended up Psycho with. Psycho, yeah. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, all the recon dudes always call them Psycho, and I thought it was a lot cooler name, so I just let them go with it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. so I got Psycho. Psycho was like 10 months old when I got him. Mm-hmm. So that bond that I had with him was incredibly special. Um, but then as soon as I came back from deployment and had done all those different things with Psycho, I had to go to Okinawa, and Psycho stayed behind, and I never uh-huh. saw him again after that, wow. after spending all that time together, combat, doing everything, then I never saw him again. Had to give him up almost instantly when I got back because I was doing a PCS move. And it sucked, man. Like that was, how I've, did, gotten, how did, I've gotten divorced and it was harder giving up Psyche than Yeah, than how did Psyche handle it? Because they don't like that shit either. Bad. Like I, it got to the point because we were so close together, our bond was so strong that the major that was the provost marshal on the head MP, what the provost marshal on Okinawa said, Cawthorn doesn't have to go into the kennels anymore, like until he leaves, because it was such a problem for Saika. He couldn't train with anybody else if he heard my voice around. Yeah. And I would fuck with the new handler. Like he would be send a Saika out for a bike and I'd just go <laughs> and like click my tongue yeah. and he would know that it's me and just you know come you, yeah. running over to me. Oh, that's incredible. So uh, you can we go back to the the training? So you went to sure. uh, Lackland, right, for the training? Yep. 
And then, and then how soon after, so they, they got you, they gave you psych on graduation with that, or did you get assigned to no, a unit? He, I didn't get him until I had been a handler for about a year and a half in Okinawa. Oh, so, so you went to Okinawa first, right? Uh, no, I went to dog school. And then when right, I left right, dog right, school, right. I had the first dog I ever had was Orlando and Orlando was a badass man. Like he was a Dutch shepherd that was a little bit older. He's probably seven or eight but would try to bite so hard and it bit so hard for so long that he had knocked his teeth out. Like he had knocked oh, wow. two of his bottom canines out. And so the dentist, the vet um, in Okinawa put titanium teeth in him. One was red and one was <laughs> blue. So on his mouth, he had red, white, and blue and he was coming for you. That's awesome. That's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Yeah, Orlando was a monster. Yeah, man. The, we, I worked with Dutch Shepherds a little bit too. We we obviously went to the the Malinois, but the I think the Dutch Shepherds were the first ones we had when we started working with dogs. Yeah, but I think I I would say that Dutch Shepherds are on par with Malinois. The difference is a Dutch Shepherd can be a lot bigger, so you could have the skill set and the ferociousness and the work drive of a Malinois but in the size of a much, much bigger dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 cool. So um, so you go to Okinawa, and then you're going to deploy to Iraq from Okinawa, correct? Yes. So I had been there for probably two years, maybe a little bit more before I deployed. Um, and there it was like a – it was a reward to deploy. Like you had to go on a board. You had to yeah. finish at the top of the training in order to be one of the dog handlers that go – it was very much an incentive based thing, which looking back, that's fucking crazy, man. Like the th the things that you do when you're in the military, like, hey, dude, going to war, that shit is a bonus. Like you earn the chance yeah. to go to war. And the way that you think about it when you're in, you're like, hell yeah. Looking back at 40, I'm like, dude, you're 24 years old. What are you doing, bro? Like, why would you do this? Yeah, that no, that's true. Again, com that's what combat was too. And again, even down to when you start getting kills, we were to a point where it's like, I want to get more than my friends. Uh, and decisions we were making based on boredom sometimes. I look back and I'm like, well, we shouldn't have done that. We probably shouldn't have walked across that potential minefield to take down that castle that nobody's in. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, you just do it because, we, you know, people would say, you know, we got we to gotta shake the dust off. It's been a while. It's like, but do we? <laughs> but I always I just, compare it. When people ask me about it, I always say it's like going to football practice every day and never wanting to play in a game. Eventually yeah. you get tired of doing Oklahoma drills. You get tired of doing up downs and suicides. You eventually want to go to the game and play. Yes. So what, uh, what year did you finally deploy? You went to Iraq, correct? Yep. I left Okinawa in late 2006 and got back in late 2007. And uh, what was that? Where, where, where's the first spot you went when you left o Okinawa? So my first spot that I got to there, we land in Alice side, like I think just about everybody else. Yeah. And then we have dog handlers a little bit different. So I got there with 40 dog handlers from all over the country, all over the world, basically to meet up. We didn't go with an individual unit. We all went as individual augments that were attached to other yeah. places once we got there. So my initial assignment was with third of the 509th, which was a army infantry unit reservist. And I was going to Camp Baharia, and that's where I was for like a week and a half, Camp Baharia. And I was like, man, this is going to suck. I'm just doing entry control points, checking vehicles at gates and shit like that. 
the next thing I know, we get a call that all of us need to go back to Camp Fallujah because one of the other dog handlers named Corporal Lee was killed by a rocket. Um, he had been working with recon and with Navy SEALs as well. And whenever he whenever he was killed, that my gunny brought me in and he was like, hey, you're going to go take his spot in recon. And when I say I didn't have the training to do that, I mean, I, brother, I did not have the training to do that at all. To, do mean, the, to do, start with the combat stuff? Yeah. I, I mean, the last time I had done infantry formations was at that MTT, and that yeah. was just very, very basic. So I had to learn a lot of recon's tactics on the fly whenever I left there after Lee was killed and I was attached. I had to learn all of their stuff, sometimes on missions, like when I was doing things with them. And it was difficult, but after after about a month or so, not even that, <laughs> I was I was pretty ready to go. I think I had been two weeks in with those guys. I felt comfortable. But day three, I was running point, like on different missions with somebody really? else. Yeah. 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 Because you're looking, the dog's looking for IEDs, improvised explosive devices, correct? Yeah. The captain, the company commander, Captain James Rose is his name, amazing leader. He Good. he was like, so you got to go out there, but we want you to have you in the back while you're learning. And I was like, well, then, sir, just send me back like to Camp Fallujah. Like, I don't need to be out here if you guys are going to do that. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, the entire reason why I'm here is to make sure that you guys don't step on bombs. Like, that's the reason why I'm here. What purpose is it if I'm behind? And he was like, all right. So I went up there. I was like, just Good. if we could just have a spotter up there with me, I would appreciate that. Because well, I, yeah. I, I can't spot and look for bombs on the road and shit at the same time. So we did that. And after we figured out uh, a good routine, it was secondary nature to do it. What kind now? What kind of IEDs are you finding? Are they like pressure pressure plates or are they uh, vehicle born or what do you or all of them? A little bit of everything. Um, so you would you would go out. And that was the benefit of being in a small unit, like having six on a fire team or going out with a smaller unit so you could see what was going on. And we had drones overhead where they could give us heat signatures of places that looked hot on the road. And I would go check those out. But we dealt with everything from small little toe poppers to Whoa. a vehicle born IED that had eight eight 55 gallon drums full of oh, explosives God. and shape charge in the back of a dump truck. Um, so we, I, everything in between the dump truck one is awesome because it was only three of us. It was that captain Rose, the master sergeant of first recon battalion, Charlie company. He was with me and myself, and it was only us three. They stayed back about 150 meters from the truck. And I went up by myself to check it out. And then as soon as we got close, because the dogs think that they're looking for a toy whenever they're doing bomb sweeps. <laughs> oh they, that makes they sense. So they love, they love a toy more than anything. They're not going to if you told them like, hey, dude, there's going to be bombs here. They're going to be like, fuck you, bro. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> can't put my nose on a fucking bomb. No way. Oh, so man. when Saika got up to it, typically whenever they would find an explosive, Saika would stare at it for a second to let me know that he's locked in on something and then sit slowly sit. Okay, but when we gotcha. got close to this dump truck. Saika was spinning. He spun so much that he legit shit because he thought. Yeah. If like being excited, this dump truck must have one million toys inside. I need to get in there. <laughs> Holy shit! Now, it, it, how did you train them? Do you get you get the ball, the the toy to smell like a certain thing, and then they no. recognize that smell? So you do basically use Pavlov's theory, where 
eventually if they taste something or smell something enough and you have an, a different stimulus that they'll pair the two stimulus together and okay. they become one. So wow. when you're initially training a dog, you'll have a big wall that has a couple holes in it. And the first time that the dog breaches the smell of, let's say TNT, you'll, the dog will put his nose in there and then you'll drop the toy over his head where he can't see where it's coming from. So then he just thinks the smell makes a toy appear and you do that over and over again. Wow. And then you go on to two. And then when he recognizes the smell, then you go on to two holes and the, it comes in the, those explosives in the wow. second hole. And then you vary it up and you go out to like 10. And then by the time you're done with that, the variable training, the dog has the scent locked in and then they'll find it essentially for the rest of their life. As long as you keep up the training. Yeah, that's, and they, in my experience with dogs, they they like their toy better than they like treats, like like food. Yeah, and so that's why the rapport is important. So you have the relationship with the handler, and one of those things is you're the one that feeds them all the time. You're the one that gives them water. So everything good in their life, whether it's toys, food, or water, all comes directly from you. So you're essentially their source of life, really. And mm -hmm. they love you because of that. And that's the reason why they work for you is because you are the giver of everything good in their life yeah that's that, that's a hell of a bond too and i've i've seen that in action too and just everything from waking up in the morning because even even stateside on weekends the handler's got to go to work every day you got to get you got to get the dog got to maintain the dog keep the dog train the dog and yep. uh, but yep. the, but again it, to them the handlers th that i worked with um they always said it, it's not i'm not going to work on on the weekends i'm i'm going to be with my dog and that's just so yeah. cool that's what and I it never do. stops man like when i was in okinawa i had a baby like my oldest kid is 17 now but whenever we were there she was six months to our born until two and a half and being a dog handler it was my job at times to do weekend kennel care so i would go mm -hmm. in kelsey would come with me in a stroller and i would put all the different dogs food underneath the stroller stacked up and we would roll through the kennel with Kelsey with earphones on and I'd yeah. be handing out the, the dog food. <laughs> I get the dogs have to eat. They have to have their kennel cleaned, whether it's yeah. Christmas, whether it's new year's, whatever they need to be fed and be taken care of. Could you ever bring the dog home? No, weren't allowed to. Yeah. I think some of our guys did, but I'm not sure if they were allowed to, but the, the whole good old boy network, I guess they, uh, they, they let them do it. So, um, you're, so you're in, you're in Fallujah. Uh, mm -hmm. you, are you guys patrolling through the city like daytime? Yeah. Uh, not as much daytime. No, we basically yeah. did everything at night. Um, and I got, that's the palest I've ever been in my life is when I was in Iraq. <laughs> Cause you're not seeing the sun. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I didn't I go outside unless too. it was take psychic to the bathroom. That was it. Yeah. Boy, it gets hot there too. People don't understand the heat of that place. And I don't think people uh, appreciate what a camel spider is either. No, they don't. They don't. That, but that... Psycho liked camel spiders. So you could sit him around a house and he would eat them. Like he didn't mind he would it eat at all. Them. Yeah, he didn't care. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. Psycho's good. <laughs> yeah, he was like people. That was the best part about having a dog like in a combat zone. You know, we end up taking a house for a couple of days to do like yeah. overwatch security and do mm -hmm. operations in and around the city. And whenever that would happen, Psycho after a while grew a rapport with the other guys where he wasn't nervous with the people that were with us all the time. Mm -hmm. So I could let him off leash and he could hang out with everybody and just be a dog, which I thought was really good for him. And it was awesome for the Marines, for the Marines to be able to pet a dog, lay down with them, throw the toy around the different houses. It really bought, brought a level of um, satisfaction and relief to the Marines that I think was pretty invaluable for what it we is. were doing. 
It is the the way that when we ha- were in our bee huts, not on missions, they would bring our dogs in without their uh, their gear on, mm-hmm. and and um and there was there was cool little things that the ha- the handler would say um if don't let the dog dogs sit on the same uh, level as you, and if he puts his paw on you, he's showing dominance. He's not being your yep. friend, yep. so you got to kind of know that. But he said they said to understand that, uh, and but that I mean we built morale and rapport with the dog. And the way it was explained to me was, well, I'm his handler, so I'm his dad, and you were all his uncles, and he sees us as a pack. Right. And he goes, when you know the whole dominance thing is just an instinct. That I thought that was just so cool to be able to. And then what you know, once the gear came on the dog, and we're going to go out, there's no more petting. Like we pet him when he doesn't have it on, but after that, we're going to work. And I'll tell you what, those dogs love to work. Oh man, you can't stop them. Like if you get a good one, and that like psycho, if you get a good one. They'll work till they they're dead, man. Like yeah. they they will keep going and going and going. That's why you have to look after them because you can't tr- like a a soldier, sailor, airman, marine. Eventually, will be like, dude, I need yeah. to tap out. I need, I need a little bit of a break or I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. The dogs won't do that, so you have to like put your hand in front of their mouth to see if they'll close it or if they're too overworked. And the recon dudes, they were totally fine. If I was like, hey, we need to take like a five ten minute break so my dog can recover. Because imagine he would walking keep going. that you walk that same area, the same hot ground, the same doing the same exact things, but you're smelling really, really hard the entire time that you're doing right. that, like mm-hmm. trying to bring in all the different scents. And being a dog, you have to move across this, the road. So anytime that you're a dog handler or you're a dog, you're moving basically twice the distance of everybody else because of the way that you have to yeah. move around the road. And that shit sucks. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you're doing extra. They, um, yeah, but they'll work till they die. I was always amazed how they, when we were when we were uh, developing tactics to to skydive with the dogs, they came up with all kinds of weird shit. But the the best thing was the simplest was we got a kit bag, like a two handle kit bag, and you put a zipper with a stop on it, and you just connect that to the belly band and he's on a harness. You know, you're they have a little uh, tandem rigs that go through like a the, baby Bjorn for a dog. Exactly. And we found that was the easiest way. And we're doing night jumps and people, you know, I don't care how many jumps you have. You're jumping at night at, you know, 15, 20,000 feet. You get a little, okay, it's game time. All you can hear is that dog's tail just destroying the bag inside because he is so ready. He knows he's going to work. Yeah. And they, they love that kind of <laughs> even repelling. Like the first time. Oh, that yeah. Repelling as a dog handler is scary, man. Cause you put the dogs <laughs> like in between your legs whenever you're going down and that's the only time I ever muzzled my dog is whenever we are doing something like that. Cause I knew that if he looked up and got too nervous and he was doing like a yap, if he yeah. yapped on my nuts, it would suck. That's going to suck. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care how friendly of a, <laughs> of a yap it is. <laughs> right. the, n- never get bit on the nuts. It's never a good deal. Yeah. So, so you're, with, so you're with, uh, you're, you're with recon in Fallujah. So it is night. What are you uh, doing? Assaults like high value targets or, or yeah, we're doing trying to interrupt uh, targets. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and we're doing that and trying to draw people out, essentially, because uh, we are in karma most of the time, and we are trying to draw a lot of folks out. Uh, but most of it was raids, and that was another thing I had no idea how to do. Um, so they put me on Squirter Patrol at first, which was really fun. And that is not, a fun. Like, that that's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Like, <laughs> and I was always hoping, like, please come out this door, please yep. come out this door. Like, I want to have a bite so bad. Like, it's the same <laughs> same concept as a sniper. You eventually want to have that confirmed kill. As a dog yes. handler, your confirmed kill is a real life. There's a real world bite. Yeah. What What were the rules of engagement around that time for squirters? A squirter is a is a someone that runs out of a house trying to get away. 
Mm-hmm. So what what is what's the ROEs on on the squirters for you? Weird hot, no matter what. So if yeah. it was if you picked a house and you raided that house and anybody came running out of the house, they're getting bit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and can you shoot them? Uh, yeah, we had the ROEs to shoot them at the yeah. time. Yeah, we had that for a while too. Then we then we learned instead of calling them squirters, we would have to tell like close air support. We have maneuverers because they're maneuvering on us, obviously running away, <laughs> cleared hot. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And when was the first real bite you got? Uh, I never got to. That's something really? that I I never oh. got to do it. There was one time I had the real opportunity to, and the guy came out. And there, we had somebody on the roof already because they had cleared the house, got on the roof. And the dude came running out the house and the guy that was doing overwatch shot him and he, and the guy died. And it was right when I was about to release the dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went up like after we got back, I was like, you fucking took it from me, man. You <laughs> took it from me. It was the perfect opportunity uh-huh. because this was right after Abu Ghraib. Like the way that people were focusing on dogs oh, yeah. because of the way that they would use the dogs there. The war crime factor for dog handlers was very, very high. And I knew that if I released my dog on the wrong person and I couldn't justify it, that I would be screwed. So I was very, very careful about doing that. There was a lot of other shit that the dogs do that was very helpful in the moment. Like, uh, you know, people, people in Iraq were just scared of dogs in general. So when you came walking through the attack dogs, not necessarily like they're fucking weirdo dogs that are walking around all strays. But when you (laughs) came into a house with a dog and you're loaded up with guns, they all said I had never been without, but they said that the level of fear that people saw even more so than guns was when a dog walked in because they, you get shot, you're dead. You get bit, you're You're maimed. You're maimed. Yeah. And they can do that with the, like you were saying with the level uh, the power, the poundage of of the force on a bite, especially he's got red, white, and blue titanium teeth. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, that, yeah, and and uh, in my experience too, because well, they don't. They, uh, people in that part of the world think of dogs differently than we do here. Mm-hmm. So strays everywhere. They don't really care about them. And in in my experience, walking because we would offset. We wouldn't drive. How did you guys insert? Would you walk or do helos or drive? Typically, we would walk. Yeah. How far? Depends. I mean, the farthest one I think we did was like 15, 16 clicks, something like That's that. Legit. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty far. Um, but I don't, yeah, I think basically all were walk up. Yeah. And it will, and that's a part of time when walking is actually safer than driving. Yeah. Um, as long especially if you have a dog and you can look for the, the funneled areas. But, uh, when we, we would offset, you know, de- depending, like, you know, you said a couple clicks, but as soon as you get to the target, I don't like the first time I was in Iraq and was going on my very first hit in Iraq, dogs barking everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's so loud that dogs are always barking and you, you, you eventually realize this is just normal. And, uh, personally our, our dogs didn't give a shit about the other dogs. How did, how did, uh, how did psycho act did care? I think that was the part for me that sucked the most, man. Like of all the different things that I had to tell people to do, shooting hmm. dogs was the worst. Because if one of those dogs even looked at Saika and was looking like they might come try to fuck with them, like that's what the spotter's responsibility was. Like you're shooting that dog. Like if they, no shit. If they come, because that the asset that the dog was was just way more than the risk of shooting them. So they shot him, man. Like anytime there's a dog around, you had to kill him. And as a dog handler who loves dogs, being the that's, one who's like, that's tough. It, it was brutal. That happened a few times. All the time. Like I would oh, say wow, it happened sucks. multiple times a week. Oh, that sucks. 
Yeah, it's terrible. Wow, I can't imagine that. Yeah, um, our, our dogs for some reason never never got engaged with other dogs that I know of. But boy, that's well, that's tough. Um, how, how often would because uh, you're you're inserting and you guys are you're, like you said you're staying in buildings a couple days at a time, Overwatch stuff. How often would you would you get engaged? Like percentage wise, you think or or like of days probably like every I'd mission. Say, yeah, I would say oh yeah, every mission definitely, but at least every other day. Um, it was mm -hmm. 2007, so it was it was pretty hot at the time in yeah. Fallujah and like uh, Karma. Anywhere between Fallujah and Ramadi was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, I was out there in 2007. That was uh, at the time, like we said, as young men, I, I I call it one of the greatest summers of my life. But <laughs> uh, the thing about combat, and you know this, um, boy, it happens fast. Like it, yeah. it just it can turn from a great day into a complete shit show in no time at all. Yeah, and you don't know how you're going to react to your first firefight until yeah. you're there. And that it kind of blows your mind. Like you're like, holy shit, is this really happening? You almost mm -hmm. kind of see yourself in the third yeah. person a little bit where mm -hmm. you're like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I, I talked about it. I talk about it quite a lot that there's imposter syndrome. I don't know if you experienced that a lot whenever you first got to the teams, but I felt like in a lot of ways, I'm not ready for this. Like, what am I doing? Like, does everybody else feel this way too? And eventually you kind of think, yeah, like most people feel that way. When rounds are coming down range, you feel a little uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I was completely ready for it, but you have to get ready for it now. Like you, it's not something that uh -huh. you can adjust. Like this is scary as fuck in the second, but I have to clear my mind. I have to think more slowly. I have to remember my training and I just have to go out and do this. Yeah, I found at the time in combat that actually if you concentrate on on going slower you're still going faster than you would be in training you're still moving the fuck out right but you, the, like the first the first time i i remember just hearing the cracks yep you know the cracks of the gunfire and that's it's it's kind of like holy shit this is nothing like a movie this is nothing like training because i'm not getting hit with simunition um if i get hit it's a real bullet uh, but then almost like, like uh, everything from hearing a belt-fed machine gun being shot at us to hearing our rangers go hot with their belt-fed machine guns like uh, 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 it was a combination of pride, proud of my dudes, proud of the army guys, proud of my assaulters. Holy shit, these bullets are coming over. You know, just it, and it can happen so fast, and it rarely happens when you plan on it. Right, and it was one of the first moments in the middle of the firefighter, right after it was over. Uh, the first one I was in, I was sitting there and I was talking to another guy, and I was like, "That's the reason why we are in the pits, pulling pits, so we know what it sounds like when the rounds are coming up." coming yes. at you like the difference of being on a firing line and hearing that versus the bullets coming at you and snapping overhead yep you're you do that's the reason why marines pull targets the way that they do so you know what that sounds that's like. exactly like, right yeah that yeah. makes sense the uh, the one the one i wasn't prepared for was the ricochet those are weird sounding because there's the, 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 <laughs> yeah. the zing like well shit, yeah where's it going because yeah. i mean you can get hit with those too they're going pretty fast still yeah like uh <laughs> There was another guy that I was with and he got hit by a ricochet and his bullet hole was bigger than the one I got. Like, because yeah, of the it's way tumbling it, and somebody was like, oh, he got shot, but it was a ricochet. I'm like, did a bullet go into did his a fucking hit him arm? He got shot. That's not. Yeah, right. I don't want to. I don't need a purple heart with an asterisk. Well, it was just a ricochet. Fuck you. Yeah, we got to gatekeep <laughs> what bullet in your skin counts and which one doesn't. Oh, shit. That So, uh. Um, what, what ha you got hit, you got shot mm -hmm. in the forum, right? What was that? Yep. What was that mission? What were you doing there? Um, I don't remember what the purpose of the mission was. I know that we, that was probably the longest entry that we had done. And I was exhausted, man. And we had taken this house and I had first sleep shift. 
And I was laid down in this room. Psycho was dead, like laying on his side, tongue hanging out of his mouth, just completely spent. And then as soon as the sun cracked, we the guns cracked as well. And there was mortars. It was oh, it was man. a complex attack instantly. It was machine guns, light guns. It was mortars. It was everything all hitting on this house at one time. And I stood up. I I heard the um, platoon sergeant screaming different directions of where people need to go and get the guns up and all that kind of shit. And I stood up to go to my position was going to be overwatch during that time. Like if we had to quick react, I was supposed to go overwatch. I stood up and as soon as I did a round came through and hit me and it spun me around. And I thought that there was like a mortar round that had exploded and piece of the brick is what hit me. And then I looked down and I see the hole in my arm. I'm like, fuck man. Shit. Uh, so I call for the corpsman and he comes up. He's like, just do like a hasty tourniquet, like very light. Don't do it super heavy. I was like, all right. He's like, just slow the bleeding down until there's a lull in the action. I was like, all right. So I do that and I'm sitting under, I go over to the side where I'm doing this and the gunny is like, get your fucking ass on the roof. I do not care that you got shot. (laughs) Fucking gunny, man. I love it. So I go in, I go up there and I'm like doing my thing. And then when everything's calmed down a little bit, they finally can call a bird because the the amount of mortars that were coming in, you know, you can't call a helicopter when all that shit's happening. So we had to wait a while and the doc was eventually like, do you want morphine? Do you want any of that stuff? And I said, no, I want to leave on my own power. If this is the last time I'm on this soil, like doing operations, I want to leave on my own power. So I walked onto the bird. Psycho was there with me. There was another Marine that had burnt the fuck out of his hand. Um, he didn't have his glove and they were trying to change a barrel and he oh, accidentally shit. like grabbed it. It's like it. grabbing a stove. Yeah, he his hand was fucked up. And oh, the those barrels get docks, hot. Oh yeah. The flight doc was looking at me and I at that my adrenaline was running so high, I wasn't even in that much pain, really. And I was like, you need to check this dude out. You could almost see his fucking bones, man. <laughs> like, oh, man. He needs to be checked out. And so we, then I end up going to Fallujah. I tie Saika's leash to the bed, uh, the surgical bed. And the guy's like, you need to get this surgery done. And I'm like, if you guys try to come near Saika, he's going to eat your ass. Like He's, he's pretty pissed. amped right now. Yeah, like he saw my blood, tasted my blood. And then his eyes were like, oh, fuck. Somebody had hurt, hurt dad. And so another handler had to come to the hospital. Oh shit! With a bite strip, bite thing uh, on his arm. Really? And ha- Psyka had to be bite it, and then they put a different leash on and brought him to the kennels and put him in the kennels until I was ready to go see him and pick him up. Wow, uh, he was um, pissed. What now? That house you were in. So Overwatch, you said that's when you got to get to the roof and you're watching the guys on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you in? A complete urban environment because they, they i mean it sounds to me like they were like they're organizing this attack on whatever house you're in at night waiting for first light what what um what kind of a house was it it was a house that was you know like a i don't know i wouldn't say urban i would say suburban urban kind of hybrid like there was little villages along the way that we had heard that people were hiding out in so we were going to these smaller villages to flush people out at the time and Whenever you're picking those houses, as you know, you look for natural barriers, too, that are protective, like canals. And you look for a lot of trees that you could knock over to have a barrier where V-bids can't come in and all those stuff. Mm -hmm. But because the canal system was there, from what I was told, 
they like low crawled in or had those positions set up because the way that we looked at maps, we were like, this house is a good house to have overwatch on a lot of the places in the city. Well, I'm sure that there are people who think tactically where that's a likely place that they're going to go if they come over to this place. So they had low crawled into these positions and then it, they were very coordinated and it all popped off at one time. It wasn't like, yeah, it was just, just unleash hell yeah unleash the hell and the mortars are dialed in it sounds like too that's just yeah they were pretty dialed in uh it took that that was a little bit longer um they didn't do that instantly but that took place it wasn't it wasn't far behind what now as far, i don't want to get too much into tactics but if you got mortar teams and and, and it, um maneuver elements with bases of fire what are you trying to get air support or are you trying to maneuver on them yeah, we had typically would have an A10 that was ready to go as long oh, as Oh uh, shit, yeah, you're you're good. Yeah, man. And <laughs> the first time that my first firefight was actually the first time I had seen an A10 gun run and that might be the hardest I ever came in my life. It was, <laughs> it was just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh my god, A10s are the best. That, yeah, they uh, they come out they come out with that uh, that big ass gun that it's a 4,000 rounds a minute, something like that. I'm sure someone will correct me. The the first time I called an 810, I didn't call. I was I was there. Uh, it, it had to do, we were in Afghanistan, on, actually on the, the Lone Survivor Rescue. We, the, an 810 shot over us uh, into a valley next to us. And the way it sounded was, I'd seen it before in training, but the way it sounded over the top was you could hear the bullets go supersonic. Then you hear, no, I'm sorry, you see the smoke, you hear the, the rounds over you, you hear them impact, then you hear it shoot like crack. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a fucking dragon. Call him again. <laughs> yeah, man. And the, like the area that you see, you're like, oh, there, there was people there before, and now there's no longer Not, people. Now there's there. nothing. There's nothing <laughs> right. there. Yeah. Also, and I was and, and I thought, oh, that's what the phrase pink mist means. That's what that means. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, I, I had a I had an army guy. Um, his first kill, he was a, he was a gunner on a on a on a 47 i think with tf-160 and he was shooting a minigun and i guess when they were inserting there was a, a al-qaeda or isis or fucking taliban and he like ran so close that he was like underneath the props and the guy his first kill was with a minigun and the soldier was a little bit dis disheveled i talked to him in the channel and i was like you all right man he goes he just vanished <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You shot him with like a hundred bullets. He went away. Good job. Yeah, hey, great give, shot, me, kid. give me the option of F 18, 16, 35, whatever. I would rather go with the A 10 behind my back than anything. Oh yeah. I mean, an A 10 is like, if we get into a big infantry war ever, China, Russia, whatever, and we bring a tens, that's you. You're good. Mm -hmm. Plus they're flying in like a titanium tub where the pilot can't even be hit with small arms. And those things take a beating. Yeah. Yep. And a 10 pilots are just cool. That's like, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good about the A10. So when um so you get shot in the forums, you stood you were inside and you stood up and got hit through a window. Uh, I don't. I'm still not sure if it's through the window or if it was through like the mud, like the really shitty houses that they have. Mm -hmm. I, I'm still not sure. Like I didn't go look or anything. You know, I just know that it, yeah. I got hit. But actually, the platoon sergeant that I was with was the guy who Generation Kill is about. Um, Iceman. Brad Colbert was my platoon sergeant there, and he pulled okay. the round. He pulled the round out of the wall and actually brought it to me at Volusian Medical. No shit. So yeah. was it one of the Belfast machine guns that shot you? Um, I, I don't know. It was a seven six two. I'm not yeah. sure what it came from. Either well, and the, yeah, it, I could see that going through a wall too because they don't exactly take well aimed shots. They kind of just go hot. 
Yeah. Let everything yeah. fly. Generation Kill. I, I interviewed uh, Rudy Reyes uh, a couple weeks ago. He was there, too. He Some of the shit you guys were doing was crazy. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there with Rudy, his group, but the one after, that's when I yeah. was with them. But, yeah, from what I've heard, Rudy was incredible whenever he was on. Rudy's a beast. Rudy's on another level. He's, he's one of those dudes like uh, – I call top one percenters, just everything from attitude to physical prowess to just dashing good looks. <laughs> that, oh, by the way, that's, that's that's neither one of us, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, not even close. And uh, you're speaking about my comments. Just go to one of those. <laughs> You'll see that everybody's <laughs> called me ugly and shit. Isn't that crazy that the uh, the comments out of nowhere, like out of nowhere, you could tweet one thing and then all of a sudden assholes are telling you, you got a small dick. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it's the. It's bad at first, you know, like after a yeah. while, it's just like, no. like whatever, dude. Oh, at like, first I'm like, how life. did you know? <laughs> now it's like, I don't care. When they um, find out, when commenters find out personal shit in your life, that's when yeah. it's really strange. Like, oh, yeah, your mom's doing this. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, why do you follow me so closely? You know what? Yeah, my this, mom's is, this, this is just is. awkward that you uh, that you you feel so strongly about me and we've never met. <laughs> right. Exactly. What is what is um OK? What does that feel like? to get shot is it like a punch uh i think the best way to if you're like standing in a tee box of at golf and somebody has a shank and it hits you really hard like a mm -hmm. golf ball it's yeah. not sharp it's just real blunt like it it doesn't feel like a a knife or anything like that it feels like you get hit with a baseball bat oh, and yours was a through and through right yeah through and through i got real fortunate i mean it went through the radio and ono bones and grooved out a little bit of one of the bones but it went straight through the hole in the two areas. I mean, legit. You're shitting me. No, like it went straight through that spot. Yeah, the million dollar wound. Get that and yeah, get shot like in the, the ass. The dock was like five millimeters lower and it shatters one of your bones. Five oh, millimeters yeah. higher and it shatters. He's like, if you weren't walking the way that you were, you you step forward like maybe three or four inches more, it goes straight through the side of your gut and you're dead. You're dead. There's there's nothing we can do for you there. Yeah, because oh, it would have gone in right at my rib cage, like at mm -hmm. the height, right at my rib cage, and through the other side. Yeah, we've had a lot of guys get killed that way. Mm -hmm. Just uh, th there's no body armor there, and then you're just, I mean, and it's the you know the bullet going through, and then the shock wave that follows it, the temporary cavity, and just uh, there's a lot. It's, uh, I mean, when did when did you feel pain? Like because the adrenaline's, I don't, you know, you get in a gunfight, you get adrenaline, even if you don't feel excited. I think. Yeah, I, you know. Honest, I know it sounds crazy, but never like I it never the pain never really came for me because I was in one. It was a through and through wound where it just like muscle and shit that has to prepare. And I had a little bit of nerve damage, but that was really it. So after I got the after I was in the hospital, I had the cast, I had the surgery. It was just like recovering from a sore elbow, really. It, I, I think I was ready to go and trying to go back on missions five days later. Uh, and did you get did you get did you get back out? Uh, the battalion commander that I was with, this dude was a fucking dick, man. He said that he wasn't going to send me back out. And they took a meritorious promotion that I was going to get um, before, like I had earned a meritorious promotion. And they said, no, because you're going to get you're going to get discharged because of what happened, like because of where it hit. You have nerve damage. You probably won't be able to shoot a rifle again. So they're, you're going to get medically separated. So that's the reason why they took a combat promotion from me away. And I, as you know, like getting one of those in the military, if you get a combat meritorious yeah. promotion, you're set up for a long time. Yes, you are. Because yeah, it's proof that you're a good dude. 
So, um, so they just they, no, no more go out and then, and then what, what do you go back home? So I, I act, they wanted to send me home and I basically flat out refused. Like I didn't want to go. I, I was a very good dog handler. One of the most respected dog handlers that in the military at the time. And cool. whenever I was going, I said, well, just let me go to the different fobs and I'll help train. And they were like, they agreed to that. So I got to go basically fob hopping. I got to go where all major Marines were. Uh, so I got to go to like Haditha. I went to um, Blue Diamond. I went to Ramadi. I went all over the place just helping dog handlers train. So it was a really cool experience getting to see basically yeah, every outpost. Well, I mean, as bad as it could have been going home, you, you get to stay in country. You get to train. And the training, too. Because Finishing I was very important for me. That's good. That's good. Um, Because uh, combat is really good training. And if you can get a combat experience guy training other people with the combat experience, that's important. That's what you had. When, when did you eventually get morphine, by the way? Never. Or, or a fentanyl lollipop? Never. Mm -mm. So they put me down and I woke up and they asked me if I wanted something. And I like, I don't really need the only thing I really wanted was ambient because my brain yeah, no was kidding. so fucking going, man. Like I would sleep for like 10 minutes and felt like it'd been eight hours and I'm just wide awake again. Like after going through that kind of stuff, like your brain just doesn't settle down. No, so there's no, not for a there while. Was times where I stayed awake 36 hours after I got shot just because I couldn't wind down. It took me weeks to be able to come down and have normal sleep, normal eating. And my brain just didn't ever chill. Yeah. I've, I've heard that if you can get into REM sleep with, um, for a while, the first night of a very traumatic incident that helps with the eventual PTSD that you're probably going to get, but then it, it starts to deteriorate the more days. But yeah, getting in a fight like that is, uh, your boy, your mind starts flying. Yeah, and it's I had I had a uh, I got eye exams after one of my worst gunfights. I got back from Afghanistan, and I'm in the I'm with the eye doctor because I was seeing spots, and uh, they checked my eyes. <laughs> they said. Have you had a traumatic experience recently? I'm like, yeah, that that, that could be it. Give it some time. Your pupils so like, are like raccoons. <laughs> I actually got. You, you ever had your eyes test and they they uh, they dilate your eyes? Yeah, yeah. So they turn your pupil that your all your eyes turn black. I didn't realize that. I I uh, did that and then I met my buddy actually Cheese who was a dog handler at a Mexican restaurant. He comes and he goes, dude, are you shooting up in the parking lot? It's like, no, no, my eyes are fucked. Just, That's all. Just got back. Yeah. <laughs> Why I guess why, you want to share needles? <laughs> so what's uh um so you finished that deployment? Was there any more? What 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 goes on? No, so I got back and after I got back from Iraq, I got divorced and I in the custody agreement I said that I wanted my kid and I wanted to be um the primary caregiver. So whenever I did that, I accepted orders to Quantico because I knew if I was at Quantico, I wasn't going to deploy at least for a while. Um, so I, I went to Quantico and did that whole thing at, in the DC area, which was fucking terrible. Yeah. It was a, yeah. just a completely different environment. It's a completely different Marine Corps than what I was used to. Oh, the Marine Corps is even bad at Quantico in, in DC. I wouldn't Why say bad. I, I enjoyed being around the Marines there. Some of my best friends still from my Marine Corps time are from yeah. Quantico. But going from Okinawa, where the Marine Corps is your entire life, like it... Mm -hmm. You don't go out in town without seeing a bunch of Marines. Everybody you live near is a bunch of Marines. You're just around Marines all the time. Yeah. But when you like Marines, that's fucking great. That's and brilliant. I, of course. Yeah. And I love being around Marines. Like I, I think that 
90% of Marines are very, very funny people. Yes, they will they shoot the shit with you all the time. Yes, so being will. around them and then going to Fredericksburg, Virginia and being, <laughs> it was just a, a completely different world. Yeah. That, I mean, now the museum, the Marine Corps museum in Quantico is badass. Is. And that's even shaped like the, the, it's the building is shaped like the flag that they raised at Iwo Jima. Yep. Uh, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I one imagine... of my favorite stories about that museum. So my, my wife's great uncle, his name uh, was Jack Sims, and he fought in Iwo Jima. And so did the guy that was in his fighting fighting hole, Roy, was his name. They both got out as lance corporals, and they came to visit the Marine Corps Museum. And whenever they did, I said, I'll give you a tour. Just come by. I'll give you a tour of the kennels. I'll do some oh, bite cool. work, show them like a whole demonstration of what the dogs could do. And I took them to the Marine Corps Museum after my all my Marines went to. I made it like a training day where we went there with those guys and they were going through really enjoying looking at like the equipment some of the uniforms that they hadn't seen in a while and then have you been rob yeah you mm -hmm. know the the wall where they have um either the eagle globin anchors or the corman uh -huh. emblem yes. that's on the yes. wall mm -hmm. when they stood there both of them were real short guys five 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 six they're standing there two iwo jima veterans and they Damn. start weeping looking of at course. this wall and I'm standing behind them, loving the Marine Corps with my whole heart. I start like getting teary eyed in uniform. Nothing wrong with that. First time in my life, like sitting there and I watching, I was like, guys, the other Marines, I was like, folks, look at it. This is history. Like them looking at a representation of what they went through, what they and, went through, especially Iwo Jima. That's, I mean, unimaginable. Yeah. And so then after that, they come back to the kennels and I say, is there anything modern Marine Corps that you guys would like? Because we have a bunch of uniform items and things like that. And he, Roy was like, I've never worn one of those those hats, those covers that you guys wear, like the eight-point cover. Like oh, yeah. Was different really? Yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. The so, cover. so I was like, here, you can have mine. Gave him mine. I had another one in the office. And when then whenever we went in and I put my dress uniform, my Charlie's back on, when I talked to them, those two guys, they stood at parade rest whenever I talked to them. Damn. And that shit shook me to my core. And I was like, please, what are you guys? And they're like, we got out as a Lance Corporal and Corporal. You're a sergeant. <laughs> it means a lot. Let us do this. And it was almost like they were requesting permission to do this yes. because it brought them back to that time where they mm -hmm. were together talking to a sergeant as a Lance Corporal and Corporal. Very, very cool experience. No, that's extremely cool, too. And that's and and I've been hearing it since I uh, met Marines when I was in high school. And what I always hear is once a Marine, always a Marine. And I, I truly believe that. I think that's badass. The the uh, the camaraderie that comes with the Marine Corps, I don't think is anywhere else. And it's uh, it, it's going to stay that way. Just that's badass. So having I, that gives me goosebumps right now. Just thinking two dude, two war heroes, a fight of Iwo Jima. Or standing mm -hmm. at parade rest, and I'm I'm not addressing them. I'm just talking to that guy. That's that's history, man. That's badass. Yeah, it really is. It it's a great. Like I've interviewed all kinds of people. Like you said, I've been doing this for six and a half, seven years. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to go to the sergeant major of the Marine Corps' house. Like it's the first sergeant major that has lived at Eighth and I, basically next door to the commandant. And I've interviewed Medal of Honor recipients, congressmen, senators, all kinds of folks. Going into the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps' house is easily the most nervous I have been. Like, I <laughs> I was setting up the microphone. My hand was, like, shaking a little bit. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, you can't take the Lance Corporal out of the Marine. Like, uh, like sitting <laughs> there in that line. house 
with him wearing the Eagle Globe and Anchor with two five point star five point stars flanked either side, I was like, I don't deserve this. Like, why am I here, man? Wow. And and it ended up being awesome. We talked about being a lifelong Marine and how important that is to me. Yeah, that is no, that's cool. And all the Marines have that. And I, I I love the Marine Corps too. And I hate to be one of those guys, you know, you run into dudes that are like, I almost joined the military. <laughs> Yeah. I, I feel like that guy when I say I tried to join the Marine Corps, but I didn't. I joined the Navy. No, you, I, you went on to do some decent stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, it was all right. <laughs> it was it was a good career. But, yeah, the Marines, I, uh, I started working with Marines uh, at a, my first A school uh, as a parachute rigger. I had a Staff Sergeant Marine teach me how to wind a bobbin and use a sewing machine that I was on the USS Austin with the Marines. I remember uh, uh, right in the invasion of the war in 2003, we were on a ship. The Marines had invaded and we're trying to go in, but then we had to go to Liberia and we didn't get in. But when we got back and the Marines, right, I'm talking about an invasion, watching these infantry dudes, these amphibious Marines get on board the ship. And I'm, you know, I'm a SEAL at this point, but I'm looking at these dudes with the, they got dirty uniforms. They've been in Iraq. They've been in the fights. Like just again, the, the pride in you guys are bad motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And it really sticks with you, like the tradition, the amount of that we focus on the tradition of the Marine Corps, I think, is the reason why. Tradition, yes. Because you know what you are like. And that's what really got me. Like the first time that I thought, shit, you know, because there, there's times now, especially with the media now, did Iraq mean anything? Did Afghanistan mean anything? And the grand scheme of history, yes, but not as much as like World War II. Like, and there's always going to be those yeah. qualifiers of what happened. But going through all that and then having the Marine Corps birthday message get shifted where it also includes the Battle of Fallujah and the Battle of Marja. Yeah. Like when that happened, I was like, wait, like I'm going to be associated oh, with something in the birthday message forever. Like and that kind of shit <laughs> feels it like swells with pride, you know, you should do well, a Fallujah's going down too. that's the Marine Corps being Marines. That's just some of the. Door to, I mean, there, there's stuff going on, even with the media presence there, there's stuff that happened there that that we'll never know that what are the what these Marines did for each other and under fire, uh, wounded comrades, uh, saving lives, uh, backing people up, going in the room, you know, just daytime door to door, house to house, block to block, Marine Corps kicking ass. And we're talking to something else that doesn't get brought up. They're fighting true believers fanatics but mm -hmm. these guys are also so fucking high on speed like you're fighting guys that you you can shoot over and over they're going to keep coming at you that the, the these marines just kicked ass like they always do and you were part of it that's i mean you should be you should be proud i'm proud yeah you were there too like i think that anybody that did that kind of shit like even if you're in support like i, I that's why i think getting rid of the adjective we're combat veteran doesn't matter like you look at somebody who was doing logistics, and I think that yes. really is the difference between the American military and every other military in the world, partly is our logistics. Like none of those A-10 gun runs happen without the logistics system yeah. and getting them over there. Nobody eats without the logistics. We are a better military than everybody else in the world. Of course we are. Look at Russia. Because of their logistics, they couldn't get their tanks there on time. They couldn't get their people fed. They didn't have any type of blankets or cold weather gear. That would not happen with us. No, absolutely not. Uh, and, I mean, even think about like the 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 construction battalions in the Navy, the Seabees, the people that it's nice when you can have a hut with air conditioning and a shitter that works. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's and that's uh, even though you can be in a really bad place, little victories, little morale wins. That's because of the logistics, because of the entire team that's there. Yeah. And those are combat vets. Those are vets. Those are vets. Just doesn't matter. If you put combat in front of it. Right. Those uh, 
I forget what the name is, but it's like red leg, not red leg, but there's something that the Air Force does that's pretty close to Seabees, but they come in and build flight lines and they have to go yeah. to places like this and build flight lines in a day or two. And you're like, how, man? Yeah. How? Yeah, they do. And the Jacksonville, uh... Florida's interstate has been on in, in construction for 15 <laughs> years. Every year. And they build a flight line in two days. They were so good, too. When we invaded Afghanistan, Bagram Airfield was uh, abandoned by the Russians and a complete shithole with mines all over. When we got done, obviously, the withdrawal, a uh, horrible way to do it. But there was a point where, like, reflective belts and speed limits, green bean coffee, karaoke night. And this is all because he's, you know, I mean, it went a little far and we homesteaded <laughs> a little bit too much. But, man, we had a, I mean, we had a, a, a place where we should have kept just in case we need to bomb someone in that neck of the woods. But, man, they Alice would have been perfect. Yeah, no kidding. Al Assad's right there, too. Yeah. And they had a great chow hall, didn't they? Dude, like and we used it. to make fun of it all the time. Like, oh, you guys are up there living large. And then when I got back to Al Assad, when I, we were going home, I was like, well, Burger King would have been kind of sick, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, even at like Kandahar, they had uh, uh, Tim Horton's donuts. and uh, Really? Yeah, because the, the Canadian Special Forces were there, the, the Canadians. Uh, and they don't yeah. get enough credit. Um, yeah, they brought Horton's donuts. I think there was a hockey rink, as you know, Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, the, just but the things like that that make it uh, the the ability to refuel, to rejock, to restock. It's because other people are doing their jobs too, and that's a that's a really good point. Yep. So um, I got to ask you this: um, Are you familiar with Wagner loves the cock? I am, and my that's that's one of the best Marine Corps stories ever. It really is, and my street that i live on is wagner no i swear to god i'll send you a See picture that? later that, please do yeah that the story that i got was there was a dude named wagner that hated his leadership and he would always say he hates the chain of command so he hates the coc and so his buddy in the shitter it started with wagner hearts loves the cock the coc, COC and then another yeah. another marine came in and just put a k on the end and I've been in Germany and seen Wagner loves the cock. That's just, it's one of those things like, you know, I'm a I've been here. to a Hooters here in San Antonio and seen it. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. I think it was the Marine, the biggest Marine like meme for lack of a better word yeah. that there was for probably 10, 15 years. Yeah. Like when I was in, I never heard the crown, the crown eater like that never was a thing whenever I was in like that Marines eat crayons and shit like that. Oh, crayons. Yeah. 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 But the having the, Wagner loves the cock was a huge one. Huge. I loved it. I, I was trying to figure it out one day and I may have told the story. I may have told you the story before I was at Walter Reed visiting a Marine who just, he got his legs blown off. And so he was kind of, he was under anesthesia and so he wasn't quite all there. And, and his, uh, his unit had sent a Marine Corps flag. They all signed for him. And uh, one person signed Wagner hearts, the cock. And uh, <laughs> I, I asked him, I said, I, I hate to ask you this right now, but you're not Wagner. All right. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> And I, I, I asked him about the story and Wagner hearts a cock. And he said, yeah, he's lying, uh, though. Every Marine loves the cock like oh, that. Yeah. The Marines are the gayest branch that there is. <laughs> the gayest branch. Maybe the Spartans were a little more gay, but <laughs> well, he, this Marine told me, he said, uh, yeah, um, General Mattis was in here yesterday and he asked me about it. And I said, uh, yeah, we write that on, on in the heads everywhere we go. And, and I guess General Mattis said, well, I've never seen it in one of mine. And he goes, yeah, I think you and I use different shitters, sir. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like you're you're a three star, of course not. Yeah, no, nobody's writing that in in your in your personal bathroom. So yeah, that's funny though. That, that yeah, the gayest branch. That is funny. That's just hilarious. Too. That that comes though with the sense of humor too. 
with the especially uh in combat some of the some of the darkest times bring the best humor and that's really important i think yeah within the first 10 minutes that you're at boot camp you're seeing a bunch of naked dudes like that's <laughs> naked men is like the hallmark of the marine corps i would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you got you got the shitters that don't have uh there's no doors you just no doors each yeah. other, just yeah. watching each other shit and dudes waiting to shit and gotta hurry up but that's great right like because you're never really embarrassed or ashamed no like the it's, rest it's, of your, it's great you've gone everything it's great i mean we didn't get boyfriends until we got on a ship but you yeah. get used to, <laughs> but you right. get used to those and i think that's seriously part of the camaraderie and part of the deal with we're all the same we're all in this together it's it, i mean it it's sound it's pro, i mean people might be gagging themselves right now but it's all true yeah it totally is and then um i need to bring up uh a little bit of an incident with a flip-flop okay right before you got out right uh yeah what was what was up with that um are you talking about the cop no yeah because yeah the cop thing because i mean i've been arrested too i just I, people always ask me about me getting arrested by my friends i went to high school with i just wanted to hear that story yeah so i i have no problem talking about that at all okay. so what when i got out well i hadn't even gotten out yet i was i didn't believe that ptsd was a thing like yes, I, I was that's one the of those, point i was getting at yeah, I was one of those early staff and CEOs that was like, this is pussy shit. Like, you need to improvise, adapt, and overcome, get your shit together. And I didn't realize that I was suffering, still not sleeping. A lot and of I never put know. the things together. Like, if I went to the rifle range, I would almost always get diarrhea. Like, every time I showed up to the rifle range and I heard gunshots going on. Really? Yeah, and I never put it together. I'm like, oh, I must have ate something bad. Never put it together. My wife has a master's degree in experimental psychology. And when we were dating, she was like, dude, you're showing all the signs of PTSD. You're yes. really irritable out of nowhere. Like mm -hmm. you are ready for violence at any time if somebody looks at me the wrong way type of thing. And I was still like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is just the way Marines are. This is the yes. way I've done things. Like I... This is who I am. I'm a Marine. I'm going to be rough. I'm going to be gruff. I'm going to be all those things. So I, when I got to, there was some spots where I was yelling at Marines a little bit too much for the Air Force school's liking because after Quantico, I went to, I was an instructor, instructor the, yeah. the lead Marine instructor at the dog school. So I was screaming at different branches of service people and they weren't used to that. Like having a Marine staff NCO yelling at an E4 in the Air Force went a little different than. Yeah, I'm sure it does. So they called my command and they made me go. The The lieutenant colonel that was the, the battalion commander there made me go to the mental health and I got evaluated. And it was so bad that they were like, dude, we're chaptering you out. Like there's no. There's no treatment, anything like that. you're going to go treatment, but you're getting retired. That was my saving grace, because whenever I was doing things, I was drinking too much. I was yes. violent, like I said. And so we were at the we were at the river one day and we were going down. I had house probably a case of beer, like a 12 pack of beer. And I was on the river, stood off to the side. My flipper, my sandals had floated off and they were sitting on the side of the bank. And so I stood up there to look for him and I'm angry Marine guy and a cop comes up and he tells me and my wife to get back in the river. And I'm like, Hey dude, I'm just looking for my sandals. As soon as we get them, then we'll get back in the yeah. river. Seems and reasonable. He, and he's like private property. You guys need to go down. And he puts his hand on my, the small of my wife's back and kind of like pushes her and she falls down stairs and like scratches her elbow up, scratches her knee up. And the cop has her like, and he's holding her down and he like kind of open hands, like pushes her to 
to get her on the ground. And mm -hmm. I'm standing beside him. And I'm like, if you touch her again, I'm going to knock you the fuck out. And he touched her wow. again and I knocked him out. And then another guy came up and grabbed me and they put me in the river and we like kind of wrestled a little bit. But then next day there was all kinds of articles that this Marine grabbed a hold of a cop, cop dragged him to the river and was attempting to drown him and all kinds of shit. Oh, damn. Just a little completely overkill. Completely false. Like, yeah. And the cop had even lied like on the report about what happened. He said that I, that he was going blackout, like that he, that he was, his head was underwater, that I made him bite his tongue in half, like nearly in half. None of that stuff was true. And luckily a video came out. Somebody oh, on the river had it and they sent it to, I found it on YouTube and I sent it to my no attorney kidding. and I was like, the cops are lying, man. Like that's what we said from the beginning. It was a lie. And they brought it to the district attorney and they're like, sure. Like we could see that the elements around the crime weren't true, but he's on video punching the cop. This is Texas. He's going to jail for that. And I ended up not going, to, I had 45 days that I had to do, but not like a prison sentence. But when I, I woke up in the jail, not knowing a thing about what happened, I thought that I was in there because I had a DUI or something mm -hmm. like that. I was like, fuck, I just ruined my career with a DUI. And I had been, it took me only six years to be an E6 in the Marine Corps. And so my career was on a very, very good path. And I yes. knew at that moment it was done. Uh, which one counts and which one doesn't? That is, that's crazy. Um, that, that's a lot to, to deal with today. Uh, uh, just the adventures of how you get to where you are. And uh, sometimes the littlest decisions that you make in life can lead you to some, some big places. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it right there because so far, um, Chaps hasn't been in a in a, in, a, in a huge gunfight where he's been personally affected and hit, but we're gonna we'll get into that next time. But uh, just remember, keep your circle tight. Look out for your buddy's back, and you're never out of the fight.